you're listening to the God-Centered Mom podcast, and you regular listeners may have noticed that I skipped the intro this time. That was on purpose. I thought I'd just kind of jump right in to the interview. This is episode 70, and I'm chatting with Tara Clapper. Tara is going to share the story of how she started Number 41, an organization out of Rwanda where she has um, provided a place for girls transitioning out of an orphanage to get a start in life. What I love about Tara is her spirit, uh, her childlike faith. She had um, a moment in her life um, where she was just wrecked. She just leaned into God. She she started following him um, as an adult and accidentally ended up on a mission trip where she fell in love with Africa. And a dream she didn't even know she had was born. Uh, The way she tells her story is just fun. And it's just, you you will laugh and you will enjoy everything she shares. Uh, I just love how she kept setting limits on what God would do. And he kept blowing the cap off of that. And how... She says God uses idiots to get done what he wants to get done. And it's inspiring to all of us to just follow him, do the next thing, help just one person. Her statement on her site is, do for one what you wish you could do for all. It's from Andy Stanley. And I love that she's not just telling these girls that, you know, she's not just giving them the world, but showing them God has already given them everything they need to go out there and take it. I I'm so excited to share her with you, so let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Tara, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited that we got to reconnect at the Hope Spoken Conference because, yes. and the fact that it took me like two hours to figure out I'd already met you. That was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it when other people do it too, because I really struggle with people being out of context. Like yeah. I am pretty good like when everybody stays in their lane. But when you meet somebody outside at you know at another conference, it's like, wait, what? Who? Like at a Walmart, you're like, I know yes. that person. How? Scanning, yes. Your scanning. Your face does not belong here. How is not computing? <laughs> and I'm like and I remembered you because of your aprons. That's Oh, perfect. That's neat. Not your I like- face. I just care about your products. That's right. It makes me happy. That's right. That's I prefer right. that. Well, Terry was um, a sponsor vendor at the Declare Conference, which I help host. And then you were also a vendor a vendor at this Hope Spoken. And we sat across from each other for a couple days. And, uh, an hour. An hour. It's an hour of our life. Hours and hours. <laughs> and I thought, I want to have Tara on the podcast. I want to tell her story. So welcome. And um, since I'm just getting to know you, too. Mm-hmm. Why don't you let the listeners and me know a little bit of your backstory? Like, where are you from, your family, where you live now, that kind of stuff? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I'm originally from Oklahoma. I am a only child, an only child of a single mom. And I was born and raised in Oklahoma City. So, I, um, what, okay. Is and this like my story or is this like number 41? Are we leading up to number 41? Well, I'm about to go into like I went on a mission trip. Well, I want to hear that part too. So you grew up in Oklahoma City with a single mom. Yeah. How did you I, end up getting connected with Rwanda? Like okay, when did, how um, did that happen? Dude, I was just like having, I was just like living life. I 
Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and I became a Christian really when I was 25. Um, okay. Where I, did you go to college? I went to OU okay. um, in Norman and I have a degree in interior design. So um, nothing that would ever prepare you for running a nonprofit yeah. <laughs> later well, down the road. Well, you got a good eye though. It's true. That does matter, I think. <laughs> Yeah, occasionally. From someone who doesn't. That does matter. <laughs> it does matter. Yeah, it's a fun skill. Um, so I. So you're 25. How did that happen? How did you Yeah, I went through a really – this is going to be way too much information straight okay. out of the gate. I went I like through a it. really terrible breakup. I dated my high school sweetheart for seven years, and just like months before I graduated from college, we broke up, and it was devastating. Mm. And I um, spent two days in the closet, um, funny enough. And I told God, I don't know who you are, and I don't know if you're real, but if you will make yourself real today, I will follow you. I don't know what this is. I don't know why it hurts so bad, but if you can turn it off, I'm coming your way. Wow. So um, he did, and I was all in. Like That's the thing about God finding you at the bottom is that you have nowhere else to go, but towards him. So um, I started going to church and I threw myself in full force and I was serving in the youth group. Um, and some of my friends were planning a, a trip. I saw them like booking flights and I was like, what's happening here? And they said, we're going to, uh, or they were planning a trip to Spain. Like they were talking about like what they were going to do in Spain and yada, yada. And I said, what's happening here? And they said, well, we're, we're going on a mission trip to South Africa, but um, we have a long layover in Spain on the way home. And so we're trying to work out what's happening. Hmm. And I said, <laughs> count me in. <laughs> I want to go to Spain. So I'll do this mission trip thing, that whatever that means. Um, so you, you. your goal is the Spain part. Yes. Not, okay. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> I was in if we were going to Spain. And so I, I signed up for the trip. And I went on the trip to South Africa. And it was super cool. And I'll say... It probably changed my life, but I wouldn't have known it. I didn't know it at the time. Mm. And so we went, and it was really cool, and I met so many great people, and I formed even stronger bonds with with some recent friends that I had made by serving in the youth group. Um, and we didn't end up getting to go to Spain, which is the sad thing, but we went to Paris and Rome, so it wasn't so devastating okay. yeah, on the way home. Are, that was pretty nice. It was fine. Yeah, you know, we made do. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to South Africa though. That's yeah. So we went okay. to South Africa and it was, it was super cool. I, I love I South usually, Africa. That's like my favorite. Man. Ever. That's my favorite trip we've ever taken. Did you go to Cape town? Yeah. And, uh, <sighs> we did the little bit of, um, Kruger park. Okay. Like because I days. did not go to Cape town. And I feel like that's like the no. biggest mistake you could ever make. Yeah. We, we were, I mean, we were working and we, you know, <laughs> you mean you were doing work? <laughs> Oh, I was not. I was at a bed and breakfast. Sorry. (laughs) Um, We didn't get to go to Cape Town, and I was real bummed about that. We were in some remote village somewhere. And so, um, but it was cool. It was so cool. And I say, I usually say God birthed a dream in me that I didn't even know I had Mm. on that trip. Mm. And I met some really cool people, and I saw a different way of living. And um, I came home. Probably different, but didn't live in such a way. So the next year, some of the same friends came and said, hey, let's do a reunion trip. Um, We found this new organization, and we're going to go to Rwanda and Ethiopia to visit orphanages. And I was like, well, yeah, we are, but where are we laying over? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the glamour part in this? Yeah. (laughs) Turned out we were laying over nowhere. 
But I w- had such a good time in South Africa. So I was like, look, you guys come in. Like, I'll, I want to go. So there were probably eight of us that were signing up for this trip um, together who had gone to South Africa together. Now we we're going to go to Ethiopia and Rwanda. Well, the team became so big that it had to split in two. And one of the people that was coming on this quote unquote reunion trip with us was our translator from South Africa. So he was South African. He was amazing. He is amazing. And two of the people on our trip, it was an older couple and they adopted David, who was our translator. Wow. And David was still living in South Africa at the time, but they were paying for his university and and they were going to fly him in to come on this trip with us. So I didn't know how I could not be on David's trip. We had formed such a bond and I loved him so dearly. And he was, you know, South African. And I would be able to see Austin and Deidre and Lindsay and whoever back home at church in Oklahoma. But David was coming on this trip and how could I not be on his team? Um, So I picked to go on the second team, which was separate from all of my friends, except for David. And I think that's an interesting point, like for anyone listening, like who, they could probably think of times where they picked the harder choice. Yeah. The like less comfortable, not with your friend's choice where you right. don't know anyone, but you feel pulled. Yes. And the benefits. Yes. Which are what? about to like yeah. wreck you and ruin you yeah. in the very way. A really yeah. good way. Like the place that yeah. it takes you um, of like not having that support and comfort is pretty life altering. Yeah. And so that's exactly what happened. And I went on this trip where I didn't know anybody. And to be really honest, and if they heard this, they would be there. I I ended up on on trip B with, I felt like all the older people, everybody was, and I'm older, let's not kid around, but I'm not married and I don't have kids. And so there were, you know, it was all parents on our trip and everybody had kids at home and everybody had husbands at home or wives at home. And they were on this trip. And I ended up on their team, and I was like, man, God. It wasn't the cool kids. wasn't. And that, like, there's something really great about that. But I was not happy about it. And I was like, man, like, what are we doing here? And we went to Ethiopia first. And I was like, Ethiopia is dirty, and I don't know about this. And maybe I made a mistake. And Mm. South Africa was so fun. And I just, this isn't my, this isn't my jam, God. Like, I don't know what's happening. And I... (laughs) was pretty much, I stayed, you know, kind of alone. And there were, I feel like on any, any, in anything, not just on any trip, but in anything, there are clicks and there are people who know each other and there are people who don't. And so there were, there were clicks and Ethiopia was a little bit wonky, but it was like, we landed in Rwanda and angels started singing and the sun was shining and it was a new day. And I was like, this place is like nothing I've ever seen. It is absolutely gorgeous and green as the day is long it was absolutely beautiful and I started to make friends um lifelong friends really I think about that I went downstairs at the guest house one day and Chelsea who I didn't know yet and I would now to this day call a mentor and probably one of my greatest examples for godly living was downstairs crying she was talking on the phone to her husband and she was skyping with her kids and it was the first time that I found out that she was in the process of adopting from Rwanda. Mm. And I just sat and listened as she talked to her family and told them about the country and told them about the plans that she felt like God had laid on her heart for mm. what this trip was and what this meant for their family and how she hoped to be involved. And 
um, when she got off the phone, she just let it all go. And, mm-hmm. and we were both crying. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've never – because I'm, I'm still at this point a, a new Christian. I've never known anybody like this. I've never known anybody who had faith in that way. I'd never known anybody who – uh, led her family in such a way or, mm. or loved her family in such a way. And we, we bonded so closely. Mm. That was at the beginning of the trip. So two days later, uh, the last two days of our trip, um, we went to the Noel orphanage and <laughs> the Noel orphanage is the it's oldest. It's spelled like Noel. Yeah. Like Christmas. It's, it opened on Christmas day okay. in 1956 or something. Wow. Crazy. Really? Okay. Yeah. So it's the oldest and the largest in Rwanda. And um, there were 630 kids the day that we showed up. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, my friends were on Team A. So that I should mention, too. They went to Rwanda first, and we went to Ethiopia first. And then we switched. But we met up for, like, two hours in Ethiopia. And I was like, yo, you guys, this trip is whack. Ethiopia is crazy. Like, (laughs) save yourselves. Like, whatever. And they were like, Tara, Rwanda is where it's at. Like, Rwanda is amazing. You're going to love it. Like, it is so good. And so um, we had switched over with them. And so they had already been to Noel. They had already met the kids. And they had told me, like, they everybody was talking about Noel. Everybody on that trip. And they had been at three other orphanages in Rwanda. But everybody was talking about Noel. So we knew, like, good things were going to happen at Noel. Well, that morning we woke up and we were headed there. And our, our team leader got a call <clears throat> from the translator and said, Hey, I just want to let you know that um, a 14-year-old boy passed away at Noel yesterday. And so today they're going to be holding funeral services. If you guys want to back out, you can. But if you want to go, I think it would mean a lot to the kids. Mm. So everybody oh was kind of like, what? the heck and this boy had died of malaria Mm. and so we went to the orphanage that day and we attended the catholic service and i think you know anytime you're in a third world country i think visiting an orphanage and 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 kids who don't have parents and are lacking in so many other you know very like visual ways to us it's difficult but this day was like nothing i could have ever imagined and i think our hearts broke in, in in totally new ways in our our, um, our love for the kids was so much more intense because it became so extremely real to us. Not that any other time it, it's, it's not real, but like this day was, I've never experienced anything like it. And so we sat through the funeral and it was probably four hours. <clears throat> it was a Catholic service. And then afterwards we walked, um, probably a half a mile with the kids to like a big field of land where they buried Patrick. What's his name? And it was intense. And so the following day, we went back with Sunday and we went to church with the kids and another like Catholic service. And then by the end of the day, we actually did, you know, get to pray and whatever. Well, during or to get to play, (laughs) get to play, play. play. Yes. Yeah, you both. Um, So it was during that time that I formed the most insane, God ordained very serious bond with a little boy named Innocent. He was 12 years old and he was a really close friend of Patrick's. And, um, he was, he was strong willed and he was sensitive. He was so funny. He loved rap music, which I had a lot of ironically on my iPod. <laughs> and, um, those OU girls love their rap music. That's right. That's right. Um, so we, we just really bonded instantly. And I, was devastated, completely mm. devastated to be going home. And now it's a joke because um, we've hosted several missions teams in Rwanda, and I can always pick out 
the Tara on the trip. Yeah. She is the red-eyed girl who's crying in the corner or who's yeah. not engaging with everybody because she can't take one more one more little, you know, she just is at her limit. I'm like, there she is. So every day after dinner, I mean, I wouldn't go to dinner. I would sit on the bus and cry all through dinner and they would come out and everybody would bring me like kind of scraps or whatever. And then I would go to bed (laughs) and I would pray like, God, I don't know what this means. You know, you got a new one here. Like you just like threw me out into the waves or whatever you Christians say about this stuff. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. And so, um, we, left Noel and there was a hole in my heart. And I think that that's what people say. And I, I never felt anything like that before. And I, again, said, you know, like, remember that thing in the closet, God, like you came and you you showed up. Like, if this is something that you're doing here, like I'll, I'm willing, like, I don't, I don't know what you want, but I don't know where this boy came from. And I don't know why you would make, we have a bond with him in this way or why um, things will work out this way. But I just want you to know, like, I'm here or whatever, like if you're doing something. And so um, we're flying home and the song comes on my iPod as I'm kind of, I always call it pranking because I don't really know that much about it. But I was praying and thinking at the same time. Pranking. So I, yeah, like I'm like pranking to God, like, uh and so the song comes on, give it all away. And I, I took it. I don't know. I feel like at the time I thought Christians hurt things from God. And so I was like, I feel like God told me to move. He told me to give it all away. Like I asked him about it. This song came on, like I'm supposed to give it all away. And I turn around to my friend Jason and I, my new friend Jason, because, you know, I didn't know anybody on the trip. And I'm like, Jason, I think I'm supposed to move to Rwanda. And he said, Tara, we've all been praying for you. And we were wondering when you're going to figure that out. Oh, my goodness. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess it's a thing. Like, <laughs> why didn't y'all just tell me? Like, I that could have saved me a lot of time. And so oh. I get home and I'm like, I, I guess I'm going to move to Rwanda. I don't know what that, I don't know what that means, but my mom's probably going to be devastated. And so <laughs> I invite her over to the house and I was like, hey, mom, like, I think I'm supposed to move to Rwanda. And it should be said like that my mom... I think my mom grew up in a Christian home and, and for whatever reason I, I didn't and, and we didn't, she wasn't living that life. But when I started going to life church, she also started going to life church. So mm. over the course of these last two years, both of our lives had been very different than anything that I had ever grown up with mm. for me. And so I was like, I, you know, I think, I don't know, but I think I was supposed to move to Rwanda. And she was like, okay, uh, okay. Like, she didn't say that, but she, she says it like she said that to me. I'm like, my mom said the best thing that any mom could ever say when their crazy daughter comes to them and said that. And she said, Tara, you are God's daughter first. Mm. And if he is calling you to move to Rwanda, who am I to be in the way? Mm. If, if he, if that's where he's calling you, that's where I think you should be. And she said, she didn't even believe me. And I'm like, you take a lot away from my story when you say that, because I make you look real good. She, she was like, I didn't, I didn't think it was a real thing. Like, I didn't know that, you know, you say a lot of things. I didn't know that you were serious. So <laughs> <laughs> the next day I sold my bed, like someone I had seen on Facebook or something, somebody at my church was asking for some furniture for this family who had just moved or whatever. And so they needed a bed. And I was like, Hey, I, I have a bed. I want to give it to you guys. And I also have a dining room table because I did. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, God, you didn't. 
Yeah. I feel like this is my thing, God. Like, this is me saying I'm all in. So if you're serious, I'm going to come with you. If you're not serious, I'm going to need some money for a new bed. <laughs> on the couch. So, you were just, all this faith stuff was new. Like, 100%. You were- but I think that's why, well, let's not kid around. I'm pretty naive in general. But I think that's why I was kind of like, it, because he, I think because childlike faith is really a thing. And yeah. because faith was new to me, yeah. he just like let it all out. Like if you're coming, I'm bringing, if you're moving, I'm going, if you're, you know, like, I think it was just that I, I didn't know any different. And you didn't second guess it. You were just like, well, this must be what Christians do. Yeah. You guys are crazy. Like We're all crazy people. So <laughs> look what happens when you say something and then God moves. And I feel like, and I could say this times 10 now, but once you see him show up, it's like, why wouldn't you, you know? And so that day in the closet, he showed up. And that day in Rwanda, he showed up, you know, like once you've seen him do it, like, what are you waiting for? Like, let's do that again. Cause that was fun, you know, or whatever. And so the bed happened and it went away (laughs) and I moved in with my mom, I think two or three months later and literally six months from the day that I came home from the trip, I moved into the orphanage in Rwanda. Wow. It was a crazy thing. They didn't really know I was coming and that was weird. But like <laughs> I told some people. <laughs> but but they, they didn't, didn't know you were coming? Oh no. So DDA, this is this is just I mean more it's, it's Africa. So things are a little probably yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. So we say all the time this is Africa. Yeah. But we so so I had been talking to this guy and he grew up at the orphanage, but he had lived out he lived outside of the orphanage now. And I'd been talking with him and he was like, Of course we'd love to have you come and stay and live with the kids. And it was just kind of all I mean, this is very cliche and I think it's what you say, but it was really a true thing. Like God just flung open the doors and made it so very clear and made my steps so easy that it just fell into place. And so um, DJ was like, yeah, come on. And so I did. And because I'm not really a planner, like I didn't follow up with anything. I was like, all right, see you in June. And that's what I did. And so <laughs> when they took me out to the orphanage and dropped me off, they were like, who is it? And they're like, this is Tara. And they're like, who is she? And she's like, they've been here before. She says she's been here before. And I was like, yeah, I've been here before. No one spoke English. So I forgot that little snippet of information and they like whisked me off into this back room. Like no one knew I was coming. And so they didn't have a room for me. They have anything ready. They whisked me off into this back room and I was in there for like three hours, literally like planning how I was going to get home. Like oh I don't have goodness. a computer. I don't have a cell phone yet, but like I got to figure out how I'm going to send an SOS to my mom and be like, get me out of here because no one told me these people didn't speak English. <laughs> like they speak Kenyarwanda and they speak French and I only speak English. So I was oh. like, you have really made yourself a mistake here, sister. And I hadn't seen innocent. Like it was dark outside. I don't know where innocent is. Like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm ready to get out of here. So oh my three goodness. later, they send in this girl named Jackie and Jackie is, is so, so dear to me now. And she had very broken English and said, hi, I'm Jackie. And they sent me here to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. Um, I came on a trip in January and I'm here to, to live. And she said, and do what? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I could teach English. I, um, I could do like some art classes or something. <laughs> I'm a really good hugger. Like I just, you want I, me to hug kids? I'll just go to a six. There's 630 every hour. I'm on it. Yeah, I'm on it. I got I'm, the rotation. Say, like, I, I am going to 
lay a market down on the hugging here. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Like Jackie, go and tell. And so Jackie was so sweet. And um, I, I ended up staying. And they finally moved me into a guest house probably a week later. They got the guest house situated and moved me into a guest house. And three months later, they came to me again and said, hey, Tara, um, what's up? Like, you're a good hugger and stuff. But when are you going home? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> said, well, I I mean, I came for a year. Like, is that going to be what? I mean, you need something. To, no, no, no. We just no, we don't know what you're doing. And oh I goodness. don't either. And so time keeps going and ends around. Like, let me just say that Innocent was around. And that boy is the most amazing kid. And I just like, let me just fast forward and run the story. He's the most amazing kid. And he calls me mom these days. And we have a very strong bond. And he is my reason and my joy and my hope like that kid he just turned 16 in february and he's ideal it has been a very long road but a very very i mean god has been with us every step and so ends around he was around then and and he's the thing he is the he is so that was four years four years ago you went on your trip and met him yes yes and then it took you six months to get there yep and then you lived there a year Yes. I, well, I lived in the orphanage for six months before I started, before I kind of decided that number 41 was going to be the thing. Because um, I, I had been living there and then at three months I told you they came and were like, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And then a couple months later, someone else, some people from New Zealand came and they were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, were uh, you cooking? Were you cleaning? Like what? No, you just hung no. out? Yeah, I was hanging out. And I, I was teaching art classes. I played a whole lot of soccer. Like, we watched Justin Bieber movie. Like, it was our job. <laughs> never say never. Oh, my. I mean, we we did. We watched a lot of movies. We had a lot of dance parties. Like, I literally was just there. And I didn't have any friends outside of what's going on in the orphanage. I didn't have – there was no camaraderie. Like, there were no America. There was one. American girl that lived probably a mile up the road. She was in the Peace Corps. But like, I literally was just there. And I felt, if I'm being really honest, even at the time, it was so hard. And I felt like I was floundering. But now I can look back objectively and maybe with rose colored glasses and see that I was just learning the rhythms of life in Rwanda. I was learning the culture. I was learning um, the way that the people lived. I learned kind of the how the government ran, like kind of what I was learning the rhythms of life there. I was kind yeah. of figuring everything out. And I didn't, I didn't know that. Like that's way too important. Right. In the time you yeah. weren't like, this would be, you weren't strategically thinking I'm going to go and hang out and learn the rhythms of life. Oh, in no, yeah. Yeah. In no, I was just chilling. Like I was just, just there. Justin Bieber. Oh, Justin, me and Justin. And the kids. <laughs> they called him Justin Baby, by the way. I feel like that's worth noting because it's so funny. They always wanted to watch the Justin Baby movie. <laughs> Dara, so, I wish I could have been there. This, I mean, it, I know it wasn't ideal and I know it was hard, but it, it just sounds so sweet. Like, it takes it, a special person to just go and hang and chill and trust God and have that kind of faith. Well, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I it was definitely sweet and it was definitely hard. But it like now and then now I hindsight's twenty twenty. That's a real thing. That's why people say it. But like <laughs> I now I look back and I'm like those were the 
best days. Like those, that was the best time. Those were the best, like, and man, I'm just going to fast forward a second again and say like some of these kids are some of my like dearest friends. And now when I go back to visit, like we reminisce, like we sit in front of the computer and watch their videos and watch, Mm. look at their pictures and talk about so-and-so's here and -and so-and-so's here and -and so-and-so's now doing this. And like, I, I didn't mean to do this and I wouldn't even take credit. I'm not even trying to take credit for it, but like, it was, it was unintentional, but God used it. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little snippet of their lives that they would have never had. Like these kids don't have baby pictures. They don't have parents to tell them like you walked when you were this age, your first word was this, you did that, you know, but like there's a four year span that I documented every single second for these kids. Like there are pictures, there are videos, there are stories, there are cards, there are, you know, there's just, Mm. there's so many memories. And that is so sweet. Like that is so sweet. Well, there's power in being known. And you took the time to know them. Yes, you, yes, you and, are so right. And to pay attention to them. And even, you know, we're going to get into how you started number 41. But I think the fact that, <laughs> well, but the fact that you like label who made it, you know, the give them identity and helped the girls like take ownership of it. You yeah. Know, they're not just a number in the orphanage anymore. Mm-hmm. They're a person who has a purpose. That's so true. That's so true. Like, let's just go there now. Because really, what I was able to really teach the girls and engage with them about is what God was teaching me Mm. at that time. You know, like, Tara, I have called you by name. I have prepared these good works for you to do. Like, that's what I was learning at the time. And so six months in, I was like, Tara, you know, that's real cute that you moved to Rwanda and you quit your job and you came here and like, whatever, like, that's cute. Like, that's nice for you to say, but what are you going to do? Like, what's yeah. your, what's your mark? What's your lasting impact? Like what, what is going to happen? And so I had this list and I've been keeping this list of, of just things that, that bothered me and they weren't really for a, a purpose. Like I just had this like list of things that annoyed me about living in Rwanda. Like the fact that that the girls had no self-confidence mm. or that the toddlers slept four to a twin bed mm. or that the kids walked an hour to school one way every day or that they didn't eat lunch at school or that they didn't have shoes or, you know, just things yeah. that were just like, Ugh, like, yeah. Ugh, why? Yeah. And so I look, I looked at that list and I was kind of pranking on it again, like praying. <laughs> pranking. Thinking, like, That's our what? new term, pranking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so, like, what? So I decided I wanted to do something with the girls. I wanted to teach them a trade that no matter what happened, if this was a big, like, ball of failure, like, at least they would know a trade. And I wanted them to have a job, and I wanted them to give back to their community in mm. some way. Because mm. these girl, the girls more than anyone and the older, the older girls more than anyone – never ever came out. And this is such a sad thing. But by the time I moved out of the orphanage, I'd been living there for nine months. I didn't know a single one of the women who came to work at number 41. And there were 16 on the first day. And they were, they were, the youngest was 18 and the oldest was 28 that came from, that came from the orphanage. Because at the time there were about a hundred kids over the age of 18. And most of them stayed around because they didn't have the connections. They didn't have family connections or friend connections or life skills to get themselves up and out. They had not, I mean, some of them had 
not the girls, but some of the boys had degrees, but they didn't have anywhere to go because they didn't have any connections to get a job and they didn't have any way to get a house. And so they just, this was their home. And so, um, these girls were, you know, close to my age and I, I didn't know any of them. And so, um, I asked for the, I asked the orphanage for a list of the girls who had finished secondary school and were in limbo. And it needs to be said that at the time, um, the orphanage or the, the Rwandan government countrywide had just started a reunification process, which is very hairy. And I have so much to say about it when you have 14 hours for me to talk about it, but they, um, every child deserves to be in a family. And, and we certainly would probably all agree with that. Um, yeah. and they were reunifying children with their families. Oh, okay. Um, Unfortunately, in Rwanda, there's a reason that a lot of these kids have come to the orphanage. And so to reunify them with families who who may or may not want them or who may or may not be able to care for them is a very hairy process. Yeah. And so um, for, for, for my girls in particular, um, to be 18 years old or 23 years old or 28 years old and to be told, you know, you have an aunt out here and you're going to go live with her um, that you've never met. That's yeah. a, that's a really scary um, prospect. And so I wanted to work with these girls really for multiple reasons. And I wanted to give them a choice and a voice to say, no, this is, this is my life and, and I'm ready to take charge of it. And so if they decide to go with them or not, I would like for them to go standing on their own two feet. Mm. And so I asked for the orphanage to give me a list of um, all of the girls who had finished secondary school and were you know, kind of in limbo and waiting to see what's next. And so they gave me a list of 13. Um, and I, in my mind, I was thinking six, like when I would think about it or pray about it, I'm like, man, God, six would be so good. Like six would be right in my lane. Like I got this with six. And the first list that I got was 13. And I was like, well, Mm, that's too many. (laughs) Double. That's double God. That's not what I said. That's a whole lot. Like, Oh, 13. Okay. Yeah, that's not what I said, um, but we'll, we're going to do it. And so um, I said, okay, we're going to take these 13. And then um, the first day that I asked the girls to come and I, so by this time I had moved out of the orphanage and that was another like crazy process, but we'll just fast forward and say that I was living probably three doors down from the orphanage mm-hmm. in a house. And um, the first day that the girls showed up to work, there were 16. And I said, hey, 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 <laughs> supposed to be 13 of you guys. Um, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> And they were like, well, this is, you know, so-and-so, and and this is so-and-so, and and she's related to so-and-so, and and can they please? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, like, whatever. Like, I thought we were having six, so 16 is not that (laughs) big of a deal. You're trying to, like, be easygoing, but you're not. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's be honest. I really am probably too easygoing. So I'm like, yeah, bring it. Come on, bring them on. Like, I don't know. We don't have any money, but, like, God does that kind of thing, right? Like, Okay, yeah. Okay, so here we go. And so I hired a teacher. She was the cousin of one of my friends, and she um, is Rwandan, and she came to live with me. She came. She lived probably four hours away, and this she was doing this as a job. So I paid her to come and live with me for a month, and she taught the girls how to sew. And as word spread and um, about what was happening and that the girls were getting jobs and stuff, people came to the house all day, every day, asking for jobs. Wow. And so within the first three weeks of number 41 being open, our number went from 16 to 32. What? And just, yeah. Just to tell you how easygoing I am. I meant to cap it at 30. Like I was like, <laughs> we, okay, like, like we cannot have more than 30. Like, let's just be real. And I accidentally missed those other two. And so we had 32 and I was like, okay, stop, 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 stop. 
32, well, we had six sewing machines. So 32 girls and six sewing machines became a problem. And yeah. um, so I hired another teacher to teach the girls to make paper beads because that's a thing in Rwanda. That's a thing in it's kind of a thing. No. lots of parts in Africa. Yeah. Like, yeah. It takes very little um, startup cost. Like you literally just get paper. And a lot of the paper that we use is trash to most of the like we get it from hair salons or whatever and so yeah. it's trash and um so you just collect it and they, the girls could our sewing machines were in the dining room um we had six and I, with also within that first week when we were getting up to 32 we got three more we had donors give three more sewing machines so we had 10 in the dining room and then they had spilled over into another bedroom and all the beading girls um would sit on the couch and cut beads and roll beads all day so um we had 32 and it, it, it was amazing. Again, I like think back on those times and I, it's worth saying because a lot of times when I talk about my friends in Rwanda, they speak like me. Like, I'm like, Oh, and she told me if you want to go to the store and pick up some milk, like, that's cool. Like whatever. No, they don't say that. And they don't speak English. And yeah. uh, I had learned to speak very broken Kenya Rwanda and they, their English was probably even less than my Kenya Rwanda. Wow. So literally I would sit on the couch every day and read my Kindle but just to be with the girls, like just to hear their conversations and just to see them interact and see their personalities and get to know them. I would sit out there with them and it was just such a sweet time um, for us. But the orphanage was not so happy about what we were doing. And so um, they tried to, they tried to shut us down a lot. They Um, weren't happy that you were they weren't happy that the money didn't run through them. That technically uh, they felt like these were their girls and they thought that the money should run through them, which mm. I had seen what happened to the money that ran through the orphanage. I had been seeing it for nine months. And so there was no way in the world I was going to run my money through them. And so they really did everything that they could to try to shut us down. And they brought in local authorities and they brought mm. in the church. And wow. um, when they couldn't do anything about it, they um, kicked a lot of our girls out of the orphanage. And so, um, seven of the girls were, uh, kicked out to be reunified. And when they decided not to go with their families and decided to come to me instead, we also had to fight with them about them saying that I was starting a new orphanage. Oh my goodness. Uh, Yeah. So there was that. So we had seven girls come and live with me, um, pretty much straight out of the gate within probably the first month. Um, Seven of them were asked to leave and came to live with me. I guess that's really so. It. They're so they're making products, they're making bags, they're making necklaces. They're yes, they're turn. You know, they're getting money. Yes. And then you know, you'd mentioned you had a list of things that bothered you about Rwanda. Yeah, and on that list, which I know I was, because I know what happens, but was yes. that these kids are not getting meals. Yes. And so I always knew like, and uh, so at the time we had, again, probably another like 130 of our kids from Noel that would every day walk to a school, the next village up and it was an hour. So they would wake up at five in the morning. They would miss breakfast. They would walk to school for an hour. They would get to school at seven. They would go to school till three and then they would walk home by four and then they would eat dinner and go to sleep and then go. So they're eating dinner. Yeah, only. And that was, I felt like wow. that was super annoying. And that's, you know, like, not only that you don't get a meal at school, and my friend, the only American I told you that was in the village, she worked for Peace Corps, and she worked at 
one of the local schools. She didn't work at the one that our kids went to, but she worked at one of the local schools. And she said, Tara, they're, they're done by 11. Like you can't, I mean, if you're hungry, you can't stay away. You can't focus. Like you're, I mean, you're not learning. Hangry. That's a real thing around here. Like (laughs) these kids aren't just hangry. They're exhausted and hangry. And so she was like, they're done. And I, that just seems crazy to me. And so I always knew that we would have, we, that, whatever the girls made, we would have some kind of give back to where they could provide food. Because the thing is like, it's hard for an American to wrap their mind around and we pay, I'm just going to use this as an example because some of our bags, so we have a bag that costs $75 and it feeds a child for an entire year. We pay $75 for a lot of things around here and don't even think twice about it. But when you realize that for $75, you could employ a woman, which I mean, the benefits of just employment are far beyond anything that I would even list right now and feed a child for an entire year. That's mind blowing. Yeah. Like that's mind blowing. And so I knew that the concept like that could work here. Yeah. And so, um, the girls started making these bags and we like just accidentally started selling them. So the same team <laughs> that I was on, they started bringing people to visit us. They would go and visit the orphanage and then they found out, you know, like, Oh yeah, and Tara, she she came on a trip with us, and now she lives here. So let's go see her. She lives right down the road, and so they came, and they would like buy our stuff and be like, "Oh, I think my aunt Pearl would like one, and my friend Mindy, she she'd probably buy two. She's a school teacher; she understands." And so, they well, and you you've got them right when they're feeling the guilt. They're right in the middle of exactly. seeing everything. You've already got exactly. the emotional purchasing happening. Yeah. So they're like, we want it. We'll do it. And so I'm like, okay, here, buy all these and take seven home to your family. And yeah. Just money when you can. And like, we did that for a very long time. And somebody was like, have you ever thought about a website? And I was like, <laughs> well, we could do a website, but I don't know how we're going to get stuff to the States. And I yeah. well, okay, well, let's just start with a website. So we got a website and then these teams kept coming and then they would be like, Hey, we'll take some bags back for you. And so they would bring the bags back and then they would send them to my mom in Oklahoma. And then my mom would ship out to whatever was happening on the website. And it just like kind of started happening. And so, um, wow. When I, I told you when I moved out of the house and they started like trying to get everybody on our case, the government and the Catholic church and the schools, like for whatever reason, during that time, I met with one of the Catholic schools in the area and I was having, I don't know, I was having to schmooze with their headmaster or something for something. And anyways, I said, and by the way, this business that I've started, no, we're not giving the money to the orphanage, but we would like to feed school kids. And so I was thinking because you have so many Noel kids here, we'd like to start with your school. And he was like, oh, oh, yeah, wow. okay, that's yeah. cool. And I was like, how many kids? And he was like, there are 250 kids. And I was like, all right. And then just like kind of filed it away because that was way before. Like we weren't, we hadn't sold any bags at that time. Like, okay, 250. So that was always kind of the number in the back of my mind as we started selling bags, as we opened the website. Like once we sell 250, we could be ready to feed the school. And so we did. We were getting really close anyways. And I went to the school and I said, hey, um, remember me? Like I had that business there down the road. And we would um, like to move forward on what it might look like to feed your students. Um, We've sold, you know, a lot of bags. And I think if we could start getting whatever needs to happen, like for a kitchen and like, let's talk about like, because, you know, they went to school seven to three without a lunch break, but now we would need to like build in a lunch break. So what's your new school day going to look like? You know, whatever. Let's talk yeah. about it. And he was like, man, I had no idea. I had no idea that you were serious. Like that is so cool. Like, we, we, we would love to have you come here. Like, that's really awesome. There are 650 kids here. If, you, if that's what you want to feed. And I was like, 650. 
Oh no, we don't have no no. What? You said two fifty. Does that we you said two fifty? And he was like, Well, um, six fifty is the number of kids that go to school all day. And so if you want to feed the, the kids, we would be so thrilled. And I said, Well, we do want to feed the kids, but we're not really ready to feed six fifty. Let's just um continue the conversation. Let's talk about the kitchen, let's talk about what that's gonna look like, and then um we'll start with 650 when we sold 650 bags. So we start building the kitchen and we keep selling stuff and things are going well. And as the, as the process goes forward, I'm like, well, we wouldn't really have to, we don't have to have 650 today. Like we don't have to have sold 650 bags today because we can keep selling bags right. as the school year goes on. And so, you know, we could, we could make this happen. And so we keep going and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to, we're going to feed the kids in January. We have another meeting with the headmaster and he said, Tara, this is just, this is just really wonderful. We're so excited about this. And the community's really excited. This is going to mean really great things for us. I want you to know that people are hearing about your program and our enrollment is at an all time high. And I said, that's, that's amazing. I don't know what that means. And he was like, well, we have 750 kids enrolled. Oh and I was goodness. like, 750? 750. And I'm like, I told you I couldn't be 650. And this is one of my proudest moments, but I'm like pounding numbers into my calculator and then flashing them at him. Like what it means when you had a hundred kids, like how many pot, what that means for the pot situation, what that means for the corn situation, what that means for the bowl situation. Like, do you know what these numbers are? And I said, I look, I, that's the thing is like, I kept trying to cap what God wanted to do. And mm. I, you know, like when we had 13, I wanted to put a cap on it. And he was like 16. And then we had 16 and I wanted to put a cap on it at 30. Mm. And he was like, no, 32. And then like 250 kids, but actually 650. And here's 750. And I kept mm. wanting. And then it was really frustrating to me, especially when you're talking about 750 kids, because as I continued to go deeper into number 41, the stakes only get higher. And it's that way, you know, with anything that we do. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I said, look, I, I want to feed these kids and I, I want to feed everybody who needs a meal. But if we can't cap this thing at seven fifty, I can't feed all your kids and yeah. I won't, I won't try if I can't do it. You know, that, you know, deferred hope is, is way worse than no hope. And so, um, I, so I said, this thing, this thing is stopping at 750. Right. And I, cause I, you know, school's starting in three weeks. And so I'm like, just give me a number. Like, yeah. you know, we're, let me know we're what work- I'm doing. Let me know what I'm yeah, doing. Like we're working in imaginary numbers at this point anyways, cause we don't have the money to even do 650. So just tell me a number and, and keep it there. So he's like 750 Tara, 750 is the number. And so I was like, okay, so 750. So three weeks goes by day of school comes and everybody's very excited. Like we bring the girls to come because we're always very serious that the girls are at the forefront of what's happening at number 41. They are the reason they are the driving force. They are, they are everything. And so the girls were at the school and everyone's real excited. Everybody's all fancy and the kids are excited at the school. And, um, Jean Demore, who is the project manager that we've hired he's an angel if we had more time i'd tell you all about him but he um came to me and said tara i have to tell you something and i said what's the matter and he said i just i'm not happy and i said what's the matter and he said well <clears throat> the headmaster is afraid of you and i said i know because you know our last conversation was three weeks prior as i'm like <laughs> beating him down with a calculator and i said i know like i think we're gonna have fantas after this and i'll talk to him and i'll apologize and um, he said, well, that's fine if you, if you want to do that. But he, I meant that he's, he's scared to tell you that there are 870 students here today. Oh my stars. <laughs> and so at that point, like, what do you even do except for send out the girls to buy 120 more forks and 120 more plates and 120 oh, my more goodness. Cups. Where do you even we- find that Rwanda? I mean, 
well, we just went to the market. You know, you like know, we lived. Enough. There was enough yeah, at the market even. Just, <laughs> like, you're like clearing out the market. Yeah. We need everything you have here. Yeah. Wow. Potatoes. Um, so we, the girls went and, and scrambled and, and got all the stuff and, and we fed 870 kids that day. And at the end of the day, um, we were all kind of standing around in the circle. It wasn't the end of the day. It was the end of the lunch hour. And we we're all kind of standing around in a circle and everybody's kind of exhausted and amazed about what just happened. It was just, it felt like a whirlwind. And the girls and John Demore and I are standing all out there and, and one of the kids comes out of a classroom and the classrooms are kind of around us in the shape of a U. And one of the kids comes out of the classroom and he says, um, Miss Tara, thank you so much for coming today. We're we're very excited and we're honored that you were here and you made us all very happy. And I said, that's that's really wonderful. Like, we can't wait to see you guys tomorrow. And he said, you're coming tomorrow. Wow. And I said, yeah, we're coming tomorrow. <laughs> we're coming we're coming every day like this. We're, we're going to feed you guys every day. And he ran off screaming into his classroom and he went and told his classroom and the classroom erupted and all of the kids poured out in the most amazing moment that had ever happened that day. And they were jumping around the girls and the girls were jumping and they were screaming. They were saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And they started singing worship songs. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids, as like all the pandemonium is happening around us, one of the kids said, Tara, 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 that's so great, but we can't, we can't afford to pay you. And I said, it's free. And everybody just went nuts. And nobody knew, nobody knew what was happening. Like already it was the greatest day of everybody's lives. And nobody even knew that this was like a, gift. a thing. Like, no, I don't, I'd never in my life has God ever been so mm. apparent to me as he was in that moment. Like that. That's, that's, is, that's salvation. That's grace. That's what it is. Like, that's unmerited what it favor. It's free. Yes. Yes. And so wow. that was amazing. And so John Demore and the girls and I got to go around to all the classes and, and explain to them what number 40 was, what number 41 is and, and what the girls were able to provide for them and that we were going to be there every day and they were going to get food every day and that it was going to be free. And since then, we've learned a couple of lessons. And um, now we do ask the parents to um, chip in because we find that it's more it's empowering. Better. Yeah. Yes. When they have they have some skin in the game and when they provide what they can and some of our parents bring some of the parents that can't afford to pay, we ask them to pay about um, 80 cents. So it's $15 every term to feed a child. And we ask them to provide about 80 cents. And so if the parents are unable to do that, they'll provide firewood or they'll help in the kitchen or they'll bring potatoes or whatever they can. So um, we do, we have since learned that that free is maybe not the best option, but that's just, you know, part of being in that moment. That was, that was it. That was what you said. What was your phrase? You're an accidental. God specializes in using idiots. God specializes in using idiots. Your accidental <laughs> missionary work. I mean, yeah. that's it. That's the denouement. That's the the creme de la creme of the story is just seeing that from a wanting to go to Spain to a moment <laughs> where you're feeding almost 900 children. Yeah. That God did that. Yeah, 100%. I heard a quote um, yesterday that said, Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Mm. And I really think that when you just continue to show up for him, he can't help but use you because you continue to stand there. Like he's like, well, here's Tara again. She didn't get it yesterday. She's back again. Like, okay. And, Mm. you know, since that day, like since, so that first year we fed 870 kids. And because those kids were eating, the school enrolled another 350. And now we feed 
almost 1,200 teachers and students every day. Wow. Because they want to eat. Because parents are are choosing, you know, like in Rwanda, you, you kind of make a choice. Like, do you send your child to school and can you afford to do it? Or do you keep them at the house because maybe they need to help fetch water or maybe they yeah. need to help cut firewood or whatever. Yeah. But if your child can get a meal at school, that's a game changer because we have so many families and we've had parent meetings since since we started the program. And they'll come and say, you know, we're only we're only able to provide for the youngest first. Mm. We're, we're we're able to provide for the youngest first. So whatever food we have goes to the youngest. If we mm. have enough, our older kids get to eat, and then whatever's left, we get to eat. Mm. And because the older kids now eat at school every day, the parents are eating. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's huge, Tara. It's, it's great. Huge, and I I love that you're doing something that we can all be a part of totally that it doesn't um require much of us (laughs) right but and and that you've made a product that's beautiful that the girls are making products that are beautiful beautiful aprons beautiful bags you just had someone come out and teach them how to make these absolutely fabulous duffel bags yes and i will put a link to all of your shop and everything in the show notes and i just I'm so thankful that you came on to share your whole story. Wow, I loved every part of it. For you and for letting me share and for being just so sweet and great. You're you're awesome. I'm really thankful to be here. I love it. I love your story, and I hope you all connect with number forty-one. The four-one being what are your three things? For one, for one child, for one meal, for one year. Love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Tara. I hope you have a fabulous night. Thank you so much. You You too. You too. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.